I will, I will be looking at you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. What a privilege it is to have it in our possession, to hold it in our hands, to read it for ourselves, to treasure it, to profit from it, to allow it to guide our lives. Father, I, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. We are listening. We want to hear from you. And so, Father, I, I pray, speak through your word to us. Let us receive it gladly and apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a special message today for you. This message is only for those who have experienced anxiety. And so if you have never experienced anxiety and expect you never will, you can go right on out to uh, the, uh, the lobby and, and get yourself a cup of coffee while the rest of us talk about this passage. So you're, you're free to go if you're free of anxiety. I don't see anybody moving toward the doors. Okay, well then take your Bibles and uh, it will be really helpful if you get your Bible open before you. So if you, if you don't have one, uh, grab one from one of the chairs around you and turn to the passage Les just read, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say about anxiety. He actually uses the word anxious six times in this passage, and three of those come in the form of a command. Do not be anxious. We're going to focus on those three and let those three frame the structure of the message this morning. Now, you may notice that each of those three times when Jesus says, do not be anxious, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, he introduces that command with a therefore. And we know that anytime you see a therefore, you want to ask what? What it's there for, right? And so this section has three of them, and each of them needs to be understood in the context of what comes before it. You have a statement, and then you have an implication. You have uh, something explained, and then therefore, what we can do about it. So when we look at it in the context, it'll tell you what it's there for. And the first one links this passage to the one we looked at last week. So it's, it's last week's passage, uh, verses 19 to 24, and because of that, or on the basis of that, or therefore, I'm telling you this. And what we said last week was that what we treasure will determine where we will invest, in heaven or in earth. It will also determine how we live, generously or ungenerously. It will also determine who we serve, God or money. And so Jesus says, uh, therefore, uh, on the basis of that, in light of how you look at treasures, you don't need to worry about life. You don't need to worry about life. That's our first point. Don't be anxious about life, uh, verses 25 to 30. Let's take a look at it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Actually, there are two things in verse 25 that he tells us not to be anxious about. And the point he's going to make is that God will take care of both of them. Those two things are your life and your body. Your life and your body. Let's talk about life first. The Greek language has three words for life, and you're actually going to recognize all of them. Take a look. First one, bios, or you might say bios. It won't be right, but you can say that. But we get our word what from that? Biology, right? Biology. It, it refers to ordinary life. Ordinary life. Uh, the word doesn't show up a lot in the New Testament. It shows up a few times in the New Testament. Um, and uh, one of those is Luke chapter 8, verse 14, where Jesus is giving the parable of the, the, the sower and the seeds. And this refers to the seed that is sown among weeds, and it is choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Ordinary life chokes it out. Uh, Paul uses the same word in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where he asks us to pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Ordinary life. The second word, zoe, we get what? Zoo, right? Zoology, zoological. Uh, and this word is used a lot more in the New Testament than the first one. And this refers to extraordinary life, life beyond the, the ordinary life that's all around us. Uh, you might say real life or really living. This is the word Jesus uses in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, the life. It's the same word he uses in John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, this, is, this is extraordinary life. This is life beyond what everybody experiences in the natural order. Paul uses this word in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. He also uses it in 1 Timothy 6, 19. Take hold of that which is truly life. Life. Extraordinary life. And the third one, uh, suke, somehow, somehow a U in Greek comes over to English as a Y. I don't know why. It's been that way for a long time. Anyway, suke, uh, we get our word what? Psyche, psychological, psychology. And uh, this word speaks, uh, the, the definition of it is, is soul or life or self. It speaks about your whole being. Uh, it is your life, it is your self, it is your being. 
And it's, it's used here. We find it here. We also find it in the parable of the rich fool that we looked at last week in Luke chapter 12, where this guy has a great crop and uh, he decides he's going to tear down his present barns and build bigger ones. And he says this, I will say to my soul, there's the word, my suke, my being, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, verse 20, he's going to use the same word, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Your life, your life, your, your whole being. And so the first word has to do with ordinary life. The second word has to do with extraordinary life. Third word has to do with your life. Now, your life, your being, your existence, Jesus says, is more than food and drink. And then he fleshes this out in verses 26 and 27, where he talks about birds. Now, I'm no bird watcher, but I really appreciate the amazing variety of birds that God has made. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. Uh, the, the variety seems endless. I enjoy taking a walk along the Rock River, and I'll hear a songbird, and I'll try to spot where it is, and I'll try to identify it. I, I love the sound of a cardinal. I, I love the call of a red-winged blackbird. I, I have enjoyed watching the white pelicans that have congregated near the dam on the Rock River. Uh, this spring, last week when I went for a walk, there were only two remaining, today maybe none. But I am just amazed at the infinite variety of the birds God has created. It's evident to me that God loves them. He made bunches of them, all varieties, and he takes care of all of them. And Jesus tells us, you're more important to him than they are. So if God takes care of birds, he'll take care of you too. Now Jesus makes the point in verse 26 that birds don't sow or reap. Now that's not a condemnation of the fact that we do. It just shows what a huge advantage we have over birds. They're not worried about their provision even though they can't sow and reap like we can. All you have to do is, is look at a farm field as you're driving by one of them, and you, you just see what capabilities we have that birds don't have. You know, row after row of corn, each one planted uh, the optimum distance from the one next to it so that you can maximize the yield of that acreage. It's amazing. Birds don't have any of that, and yet they're not worried about their provision. It's not that birds do nothing. They're really industrious. Uh, they're walking around our lawns all the time eating bugs, and they just don't worry about it. There's plenty of bugs. God sees to it. And get this, Jesus says here, you can know this God personally. What does Jesus call him in verse 26? Your heavenly Father. It's an amazing advantage we have over birds. We can know him personally as our heavenly father, the one who provides for us. So the one who is your heavenly father, verse 26 and verse 32, he uses that in both, 
This one takes care of birds, and you're more valuable to him than they are. Conclusion, he'll take care of you too. And verse 27 says, not only does God provide, but we can't change things that he has determined. Verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, the words Jesus uses here could mean a couple of different things. The word translated span of, um, I'm sorry, the word translated single hour literally means cubit, a cubit. A cubit is the distance from your fingertips to your elbow. Uh, so same word can mean either thing. The word translated span of life literally means stature, height. So no wonder the King James Version says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? But those two words can also mean a measure. A cubit is a measure. And it can also mean age, how tall you are when you hit maturity, for instance. And so you get which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his span of life. Either way, there are some things you just can't change, right? God has determined them. You can't add a cubit to your height, uh, you, if you're an adult, won't expect to grow another 18 inches, uh, and you can't add an hour to the length of your days. And worrying won't change any of that. Bottom line of verse 27 is worry doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't add to your height, won't add to the length of your days. I heard somebody say, uh, worrying works for me. Most of the things that I worry about don't happen. There's some good logic for you. So in verses 26 and 27, Jesus makes the point that we don't need to be anxious about our life. And then he picks up with the idea of our body and how we adorn it. So back to verse 25, he introduces life and body. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he's picking up in verse 28 with the idea of the body being more than clothing, as your life is more than food and drink. He's going to deal with this subject by talking about lilies and grass. Verse 28 to 30, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What do you see when you look at a lily? What do you see? I see something beautiful. I see something delicate. I see something designed in such a way that I would never have thought of. It's intricate. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. And God uses it to adorn grass. If God so clothes the grass with lilies, he uses lilies to clothe the grass. So if he so clothes 
the grass. If he clothes the grass like that, what will he do for you? How does he clothe the grass? He adorns it with flowers. Lilies are a little splash of color, a little adornment that God gives the grass to make it look prettier. Does grass need flowers in order to live? No. No. He didn't have to do it that way. He didn't have to dress it up like that. But he does. It's amazing. When I was in college, I took a job in the dining hall to try to earn a little bit of money. It's kind of the, the job that was available. And I got put in the salad department. And uh, you know, we would plate up salads and put them on trays and get them out to the, the serving line. And, and uh, so I would uh, like take a tray of Jello and I'd cut it in like four inch squares and put them on plates and want to send them out. And, no, you can't send that out. Why not? It doesn't have garnish on it. Everything has to have garnish. So well, what, what should I garnish it with? Well, why don't you try a little whipped cream? So, okay, a little whipped cream on top. Now it can go out because it's been adorned properly. It's, it's garnished. The main event was the jello, right? The whipped cream was the garnish. It was there to adorn it, to make it look nicer. God is pleased to adorn the grass with lilies, a little garnish, just to dress it up a bit, even though it won't be around for long. Verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He garnishes it with beauty, even though it's not going to be around long at all. Would you paint a building that's going to be torn down next week? Grass is around such a short time, and yet God adorns it with flowers. It's amazing. It, it's lavish. It's, it's extravagant. And Jesus says, you're of more lasting value than grass. Conclusion, he'll take care of you too. So we don't need to be anxious about our life, what we eat or drink, or our body, what we wear. Life is much more than those things. And I think we'd all readily agree with that, but what's that look like in real time? Let me just give you a case in point for my own life. I am looking around myself these days and seeing friends of mine retiring, some of them younger than me. It's a weird place to be, I'll tell you. And I, I look at that and I go, well, I, you know, I suppose I could retire too. If all I needed you know, was just food and clothing, uh, I could retire now too. But I look at another friend of mine, one who's on the pastoral staff of the Wausau Church, who just turned 80. He loves getting up in the morning and going to work at church. He's got purpose. And God is using him. Now, Tina was up there last weekend, heard him preach, hit it out of the park. He's just... God is using him in wonderful ways. He's got purpose, and he's living out that purpose. And in the light of that, he knows life for him is more than food and clothing, and he's going to focus on that purpose and trust God to provide for the rest. 
bottom line of verses 25 to 30 is your life matters to God. He holds your life, your suke, in his hand. Rest there. Your life is more than all the things people are worrying about having. It has purpose until he's ready to take you home. Have you discovered what that purpose is? Someone said the two most important days in a person's life are the day that that person is born and the day he finds out why. What's your purpose? Why has God put you here? Are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you living into that? Your purpose will be fulfilled one day and he'll take you home then. But until then, you have a purpose to fulfill and God will provide for you while you are fulfilling it. You have a loving Heavenly Father who cares for you more than birds and grass. And when you're feeling anxious, you can rest in that assurance. That's the first therefore. The second one is in verses 31 to 33 where Jesus says you don't need to worry about your needs. Here's the second, therefore. It implies something that flows out of the first. So the first one is, your treasure is in a different place from the passage we looked at last week. Therefore, you don't need to worry about your life. God will take care of you until your purpose here is fulfilled. The second, therefore, follows that. Therefore, God will take care of you. Therefore, you don't need to focus on the things other people are focusing on. You don't need to be anxious about the things other people get anxious about. Now, what are people focusing on? Think for a minute about TV ads. We're bombarded with them, right? What, what do you see TV ads for? One of the things we see TV ads for is restaurants, right? We, they're, they're flooding the airwaves, right? advertising for restaurants. And I know you're surrounded with them just like I am because you'll be able to tell me what these are, okay? Number one, it's finger licking good. That comes from KFC, right? Next one, nobody out pizzas who? The hut, right? Yeah. Uh, think outside the bun comes from Taco Bell. How about I'm loving it? McDonald's. How about uh, eat fresh? Subway. We are surrounded by this stuff. Ads for restaurants. We see ads for food itself, from avocados to Skippy peanut butter to Doritos, right? Ads for food. We see ads for beverages, anything from Gatorade to Coke to Miller Lite. We see ads for clothing, from Levi's to Land's End. All of these things fill the ads around us. They're also filled with cars and cell phone plans and personal injury attorneys, but they didn't have those things in the first century. Now, why do we see all those ads? It's because that's what people are interested in. And so companies are going after market share in food and beverage and clothing. Verse 31 tells us then that people in the first century concerned themselves with the same things that occupy our thoughts and our commercials today. Food, drink, clothing. And Jesus tells us we don't have to be anxious about those things. Why? 
because that's how people behave who don't know God. Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Gentiles, uh, the Greek word is ethne. We get our word ethnic from that. It is the subject of the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all ethne, all nations, all unreached people, all people who don't know God yet. And what do those people do not knowing God? They seek after all these things. Now, that word for seek after is, is an interesting word. It's an intensified word. It, it implies making something your focus, where getting it becomes uh, the thing that drives you. And Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. They, they don't know God. That's why they're doing it. They don't know God as their heavenly Father who will provide for them like he provides for birds and grass. How does Jesus describe God in verse 26 and in verse 32? Take a look in your lap. What's your Bible say? Verse 26 and verse 32. He calls him your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. The one who you know as your heavenly Father, who you have a relationship with, knows your need. He'll provide. Look back at verse 8. We looked at that one two or three weeks ago. In verse 7, he speaks about Gentiles and how they pray. And he says, what in verse 8? Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Same wording. We don't need to be like the people who don't know God. Because we know him, we can trust him. Act like children of the Heavenly Father, he says. Trust in him. So, Jesus tells us then, in verses 31 to 33, what not to do. Don't be like them, but he also tells us what to do. What not to do? Don't be anxious. Don't seek after those things. Don't make those things your focus. What to do? Verse 33, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness And know that all these other things that you need along the way will be added to you. They'll be provided for you. The bottom line is we don't chase after the things that other people chase after. People who don't know God. Trust him then. And focus your attention on his agenda. And that brings us to the third therefore. First therefore, your treasure's in a different place. Therefore, you don't need to worry about your life. God will take care of you until your purpose is fulfilled. Second therefore, God will take care of you. Therefore, you don't need to focus on the things other people are focusing on. You don't need to be anxious about the things other people are anxious about. Third therefore, you're seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, his agenda. Therefore, you don't need to worry about the future. Because God's got that under control as well. Your future, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Now is all you've got, and you've got your hands full enough with that. 
You can't control tomorrow. It, it picks back up with verse 27 where he said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You can't control the length of your life. You can't control your height. Your hours, your days, your years, those things are all in God's hands. George MacDonald put it this way, no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. Bottom line, God's got tomorrow. You can trust him to provide when it comes. Trust God a day at a time. Focus on what he wants you to do today. Alcoholics Anonymous operates that way. They ask you to focus on staying sober just for today. Just for today. Here's a quote from them. Just for today, I will try to live through this day only and not tackle all my problems at once. I can do something for 12 hours that would appall me if I felt I had to keep it up for a lifetime. Just for today. If they thought about staying sober for the rest of their lives, it'd be overwhelming. But a person can focus on staying sober just for today. If you think about all the things that could go wrong tomorrow, you'd be overwhelmed. Focus on today. A friend of mine talks about living in day-tight compartments. I like the idea. Day-tight compartments. Shut out the failures of yesterday. Shut out the worries about tomorrow. Live in this day-tight compartment and live fully the day God is giving you right now. We look at treasures differently than people who don't know God. Therefore, we don't have to worry about our life. We know that God provides for birds and grass, so we know he'll provide for us. Therefore, we don't chase after the things that others do. We're going to trust him to provide. Therefore, we're going to focus on what he's called us to do today and not worry about tomorrow. What is it that would give you a lot of anxiety if you let it? What is it that keeps you awake at night or that wakes you up in the middle of the night? Whatever it is, your life is more than that. Whatever it is. God's got purposes for you that go way beyond those things. And he will provide for you until those purposes are accomplished. He loves you more than birds and grass. And if he cares for them, he'll care for you. And if you've got a relationship with him, you can know that he has already given you more than you deserve. And you can trust him to provide for whatever else you need. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
He's given us his son. We can trust him to give us whatever else we need. Our best defense against anxiety is a relationship with God. Do you have one? Do you know him? Don't leave here today without being assured that you know him, that you are in his care, that you have a place in heaven reserved for you. I'll be up front after the service. Would love to talk with you. Would love to pray with you about that. People who don't know him chase after all sorts of lesser things. People who do know him can rest in the assurance that he will provide all we need until the day we see him face to face. Now, I organized this message around the three therefores in this passage and around the imperatives that follow them, that the command, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. I almost organized this message around the statements of why we shouldn't be anxious, statements that are found throughout the passage. Instead, clever fellow, I tucked them away into the further thought questions. So especially this week, I would encourage you to make use of those. You'll find encouragement from God's word there that will help you to avoid anxiety. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you care for birds and grass and that you tell us that you care for us far more than those things and that you, as you provide for them, will provide so much more for us. Thank you that you have provided your son who gave his life an atoning sacrifice for our sin that as we trust in him, we can come to know you as our Heavenly Father. And that we can have a relationship with you that goes into all eternity. And that we can rest in your provision for us. Thank you, Father, that you don't treat us according to what we deserve, but that you treat us according to your grace. And so, Father, we look to you and we thank you for that provision Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't put his or her trust in you, that that person would do that right now, would just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving yourself for me. I want to trust you as my Savior, live for you as my Lord. Come into my heart, live there. Let me glorify you with my whole life, my whole self, my whole being. So, Father, we just give ourselves to you. Pray that you would use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.